Um, all right, we're going to read from Luke chapter 8, verses 40 through 56. The word of the Lord says, Now when Jesus returned, the crowd welcomed him, for they were all waiting for him. And there came a man named Jairus, who was a ruler of the synagogue. And falling at Jesus' feet, he implored him to come to his house, for he had an only daughter, about 12 years of age, and she was dying. As Jesus went, the people pressed around him, and there was a woman who had had discharge of blood for 12 years. And though she had spent all her living on physicians, she could not be healed by anyone. She came up behind him and touched the fringe of his garment, and immediately her discharge of blood ceased. And Jesus said, who was it that touched me? When all denied it, Peter said, Master, the crowds surround you and are pressing in on you. But Jesus said, Someone touched me, for I perceived that power has gone out from me. And when the woman saw that she was not hidden, she came trembling and falling down before him, declared in the presence of all the people why she had touched him and how she had been immediately healed. And he said to her, Daughter, your faith has made you well. Go in peace. While he was still speaking, someone from the ruler's house came and said, Your daughter is dead. Do not trouble the teacher anymore. But Jesus, on hearing this, answered him, Do not fear. Only believe, and she will be well. And when he came to the house, he allowed no one to enter with him except Peter and John and James and the father and mother of the child. And all were weeping and mourning for her. But he said, do not weep. She is not dead, but sleeping. And they laughed at him, knowing that she was dead. But taking her by the hand, he called, saying, child, arise. And her spirit returned, and she got up at once. And he directed that something be given to her to eat. And her parents were amazed, but he charged them to tell no one what had happened. Amen. Church, you may be seated. If you have a copy of the scriptures, I invite you to grab it and turn to that passage that uh, we just heard read over us. Uh, so glad you are with us here at Risen. Welcome. If you're new with us, want to say welcome. Glad you're here. Uh, we would love to connect with you. We would love to learn more about you. We have a connect table uh, out in the back hallway as you leave today. We would love to uh, find out more about who you are so we can tell you more about who we are and how to connect into the life and ministry here at Risen. Well, if you're new with us, uh, we are walking our way through Luke's gospel verse by verse. Uh, and it's been a, a beautiful time in God's word. We're going to be there for a long while uh, as, we, uh, as we look at this gospel. And we've seen some amazing things. Last week, we looked at Jesus calming the storm. We saw him then casting demons out of a man. And now we're sort of completing uh, this chapter and what's uh, really this fourfold miracle sequence as Jesus is showing and displaying in these stories that he has power over nature. He has power over the natural world, as we saw last week. When, when Jesus speaks, uh, the creation listens and obeys. And then we also see here uh, and last week that he has power over the spiritual world. He casts out demons. And then here we have him healing sickness and even having power uh, to speak and conquer and defeat death itself. So we see that the Lord Jesus Christ 
has power over the natural world, has power over the physical world, has power over the spiritual world, and has power even over death itself. And what, what Luke is doing here is he's, he's showing us these really amazing things through all of these stories and through all of these characters that we have met all along our journey through the gospel of Luke. And it's really... Um, when we read of these people that he's doing this with and he's doing this too and he's in the midst of, uh, they're going through remarkable things. They're going through difficult things, but they're f- the, the thing that transforms them is their simple faith in Christ. And so it's simple faith that Jesus is responding to and you see the power of the miraculous happen when people put their faith and trust in this one, Jesus Christ. And so we see Jesus responding to simple faith in many of these stories. And we're going to see it again here today as we just heard this read. And what Jesus is doing as he's beginning his ministry, as he's walking through and encountering all these things, he is calming storms. He's casting out demons. He's making the lame walk. He's saying that he can forgive and have authority to forgive sins, that Jesus can meet us in our humanity, in our most desperate hour, even in our time of death, and bring healing and complete wholeness. It's a remarkable story, remarkable stories. And so we see his power, but also coupled with the power of Christ and his authority of his words to uh, have nature respond, to have demons be cast out, we see the tenderness and the compassion of Christ when he sees afflicted people when he sees hurting and broken people, he shows up for them. He leans in, he responds. And he doesn't do it because he feels some sort of obligation. He does it because he's willing and he loves to show mercy and grace to those in their great time of need. And it's a little glimpse here as we read through this that Jesus will do so forevermore for you and I that are found in Christ. We've been seeing uh, in these stories that Jesus is giving us as we journey through Luke's gospel, little previews, if you will, of, um, of the new creation. That today, yes, here on this side of heaven, we have to deal with the ruinous effects of sin. We have the ruinous effects of the fall. We have to deal with uh, all that entails on the natural world, with natural disasters, with sickness, with death, with suffering, and all of these things, as we encounter them, as these characters in the scriptures encounter them, bring sorrow and they bring deep grief. But Christian, in Christ, you are not without hope. Amen? Because of Christ, we are not without hope. We live now with the assurance in Christ that all of those things will be over forever one day. And we're given pictures and windows into this reality as Jesus is doing his ministry. Um, And so the text that we just heard read is a very interesting one. It's arranged in a really interesting way, even literally, even in its, in its writing. 
Um, we kind of have, uh, we've got two miracles happening and they're sort of intertwined together. There's, there's, one, there's one event that Jesus finds out about and then he's interrupted in this crowd. Remember, I'll set the stage. Remember, Jesus gets on a boat with his disciples. He goes over to the Gentile area where he casts the demons out of the man. They get back on the boat and this story picks up as he makes landfall again and he sets down over on the Jewish side of town and he's walking through this town, but all these people have found out all this stuff that Jesus has done, and there's an enormous crowd that has met him, and they're pressed in on him. And so uh, we meet a couple of different characters in this huge crowd that is pressing in on Christ. And, and, they're, and they're, they're sort of leaning in, and so we get these two we get these two miracle stories, like two for the price of one, if you will. One pastor I heard call it uh, a miracle Groupon. Do they still have those anymore? That's, that's not a thing. Yeah, okay, I'm glad that worked. A couple of people know what a Groupon is. So you have Jairus, uh, who comes to Jesus. He's one of these in this crowd, and he is in a desperate place. And he is desperate because his 12-year-old daughter is dying. But before he can get Jesus to his daughter, he's interrupted by a woman who has uh, presumably this, this hemorrhage. She has bleeding for 12 years. And by the time Jesus deals with this interruption of this woman, the 12-year-old daughter has died. So the story is heightened with tension. And you're like, oh, what's going on here? Why? There's an interruption and you're wondering why he can't get there. And so these two stories that are intermingled together, I believe are teaching us one big idea. These stories are tangled together, if you will, to teach us one great truth about Christ. And that is this, that we can trust Jesus in our most desperate moments. That we can trust Jesus in our most desperate moments and we can trust him in even our death. In even our death. Um, now, these are intertwined, uh, obviously, because of the sequence of events uh, uh, that we read them in. They're, they're also intertwined uh, by the way it's written, and you see in these individual expressions of faith in these two characters. These two very different characters, by the way. Um, so there's this woman who has this faith in Jesus, that Jesus can heal her, that Jesus is the one that can actually do what no other doctor could do or no one could do for her for the past 12 years. And then you have Jairus, who also has faith that believes that Jesus, this one whom he's heard of, can help his dying daughter. And so they both show an expression of faith in Christ that Jesus can do something about their desperate situation. And they go to him and they press in on him and they're desperate to get in front of Christ. Now, these two stories are also, the reason we, we know that they're, they're, they're tangled up together with one purpose is because they're intertwined with their terminology as well. Uh, this is masterfully written just from a literary perspective. So Jesus uses the term daughter to describe Jairus' daughter. Um, or I'm sorry, Jesus uses the term daughter to describe the lady with the hemorrhage, rather. And Luke, the gospel writer, uses the term daughter to describe the 12-year-old girl. So here we have two daughters. So there's language here that are, that are linking these stories together. 
And we could stop right there and make a quick side note that's um, daughters in Christ, ladies, women, that is your fundamental, foundational identity, that you are a daughter of the king. That if you are searching for identity, that you are longing for who am I, what is my identity, where do I belong, and all those different things, you can stop looking and you can start worshiping Jesus because he calls you daughter. That's a remarkable thing. And they're also intertwined, these two stories, uh, as, the write, as the writer is putting these together with the number 12, interestingly enough. The girl is 12 years old, if you noticed. And this woman who falls at Christ's feet has been suffering for 12 years. Uh, she has been in misery and in hardship for as long as this little child has existed. And so here we have and we see two very different people fall at the feet of Jesus in desperate need of the healing of Christ that only he can provide. So we have the healing of two daughters, if you will, two daughters of God. All right, let's jump in verse 40 through 48. We're introduced to the synagogue ruler Jairus, or Jairus, I'm probably gonna say it two different ways the whole time because I was confused. I, could, I say it different every time, so forgive me. It's the same guy, you, we all get it. So there's this crowd welcoming Jesus. Uh, Jairus comes to him in verse 41 and we're told that he's a ruler of a synagogue. Right, So this means that this man would have been well-respected. He would have been in charge of the supervision of the building of the synagogue. He would have been in charge of overseeing the services that took place in the synagogue. He would have, he would have definitely known about Jesus because Jesus would have been ministering in this area where his synagogue was. And no doubt all the rumors with the amount of people in this crowd, he would have already understood there is a rabbi, there is a teacher, there is a prophet of God, this one that, has, that he's heard can bring healing to the afflicted. And he knows about Jesus. He knows about the miracle working power of Jesus. That is why he is there. But what is so surprising about this Jewish synagogue ruler and how we find him in this story is he comes to Jesus. And this is another example in Luke's gospel of how it is so surprising who and how people come to Christ. Because we do not expect a respected Jewish leader because all the ones we've met previously have not responded to Jesus this way. But this respected Jewish leader comes and he is publicly asking for help. He's publicly asking for Christ, for Jesus to help him. And it seems to be that this is the beginning of faith for Jairus. He's desperate. He's a well-respected man. He's a man known in the area. And these are the kind of men, these are the kind of people in positions of power that don't fall on their knees and beg for the help of someone else. But here he does. These are the type of men that don't always fall down at the feet of someone else. But here he does because he is in a desperate place and he has no way of solving the problem in front of him. And then soon as the story progresses, his desperation turns to hopelessness as the 12-year-old goes from dying to dead. 
But here, before the interruption occurs, she's dying. And Luke underscores the tragedy of this, the pain of this, by saying she's 12 years old. What could be worse than hearing that news from a doctor? What could be worse than having those, that news given to you as a parent that your daughter is dying? Um, some here I know have even experienced the tragedy of losing children and it's a pain you never get over. Um, if you go back in history, uh, we can read of church fathers and church um, uh, folks that have lost, that have gone through this, this similar loss. And what's remarkable as you read about some of these stories is how these men and women of faith that have lost children continue to persevere despite the crippling loss and grief of losing a child. Uh, I, I read of John Owen, the great theologian, uh, wrote a number of wonderful theological books. Uh, his wife, uh, Mary, lost 10 of their 11 children. Um, Charles and Sarah Wesley had eight children, only uh, f- only five survived infancy. And you could go on and on and on and read about all these different situations and they are devastating. Your heart just aches. But what's remarkable as you continue to read their stories is how they were sustained by the grace of Jesus even in the midst of their great grief. In fact, Ashley and I, uh, through our story in our marriage of almost 20 years, we've uh, felt similar sufferings. We've, I know many of you in this room have experienced miscarriage um, and the pain of that. We had the recent loss of our niece, which was devastating and a trial. And just when those happen, uh, it is so painful. And many of you have known that heartache. Many of you are sitting here maybe even now and it's fresh. And you understand those moments of grief or maybe the walk through even infertility. Uh, And it's hard and it grieves our hearts. Yet, like Ashley and I, we experience and like John Owen and many of those that have gone before us can testify to the comfort of Christ even in the midst of our grief. Um, because he's given us a greater anticipation of a future glory when we're faced with such loss that we can cling to hope in him, though our circumstances now are dire. Uh, How and why? Because we know that we're safe in God's hands and that he is in control. Though my circumstances make no sense now, I cling to Christ in the midst of chaos and he stills my heart and he calms the storms. But here, back to the story, Jairus doesn't want to be among that number, right? So Jesus is in front of him. And he does what any person of faith, as faith is budding in him, would do. That, and he would do it again, that he, he musters what small amounts of faith he has at the time. And he's going to the right person. He's going to Christ. He, he knows this one might be able to help him. He knows Jesus is the only one that he could go to. And so he, the object of his faith is Christ. And in his moment of desperation, he goes to Christ. 
And the same thing happens with the lady with the hemorrhage. They go to Christ in faith because they believe the object of their faith is Jesus can do that which I cannot do for myself. And so I will run to him and his healing power. And maybe he might have mercy on me, a sinner, and help me in my time of need. And I think it's worth underscoring today in sort of the world we live in that uh, it's popular to talk about faith. Uh, It's popular to talk about all kinds of faith. But oftentimes there's no object of that faith. It's sort of a generic faith. It's sort of the the award show faith. I'd like to thank and have faith in faith, right? You're like, well, who's faith? Well, I don't know, I just have faith. I have faith that things will get better. And we like little motivational, like pithy statements that help us have faith in, in what though? A lot of the faith and a lot of the things that tell you to put your hope in that are not anchored to a person. There's no object of our faith. It is a generic, meaningless faith that is no more than self-help talk. If you have faith in any object of faith other than Christ, you have a false hope. So this text is teaching us something important. Learn from Jairus. Learn from the woman in a helpless situation to make the object of your faith Jesus Christ our Lord. Amen? Because he specializes in lost causes. He specializes in helping those in desperate situations. And so next we have this interruption that happens. We meet this lady and she comes in verse 42. It says this, as Jesus went, the crowds pressed in around him. Remember, they're, they've heard about Christ, so they're all, they're, they're kind of wanting to see what he's gonna do next. And there was a woman who had a discharge of blood for 12 years. And though she had spent all of her living on the physician, she could not be helped by anyone. This is a desperate situation for her. It's horrible. Bleeding for 12 years presumably some kind of uterine hemorrhage. She couldn't stop the bleeding. It was most likely life-threatening as well. It had ruined her life in more than just the physical sense. If you remember or you're a student of the Bible, the law of Moses tells us that anyone with a discharge of blood was rendered unclean in this culture. So she could not go to temple. She could not worship. She could not be around her family. She was cast out. She was cast away. And so she had this physical illness. She had this chronic problem. And as a result of it, she was completely isolated. She tried everything. It said she spent all of her money. She was desperate for a solution. She gave everything she had to the physicians to heal her. And they could not help her. She gave away everything she had. She was desperate. She was now broke. She was outcast. She was removed from her family and removed from her church. This is this woman's plight. Extreme desperation. The lowest point of her life, living a terrible existence. Um... And she found, like many of us have found, when we find ourselves in these types of situations where it all feels hopeless, that no human solution can solve my problem. I've tried them all. 
And in those moments, I believe that God often brings us to our knees like he does here. And when he does so, church, I know it feels desperate. I know it feels like you're in a hopeless place, but often that very moment is a gift of grace to you. When he brings us to the point of recognizing I cannot fix this on my own, I don't have it within me to do it. I don't know it all. I don't have it all. I don't have enough in me. I am frail and needy and the Lord gets our attention. Then he brings us to a moment of desperation. In these moments, we learn from this woman, we are in this situation. Make the object of your hope and faith and trust Christ. Run to him. Run to him. Mark tells us in Mark's gospel, that she had heard, gives us a little more insight, she had heard reports that Jesus may be able to do something for her, that Jesus might be able to help her. And so it says in verse 44 that she came up behind him and touched the fringe of his garment and immediately the discharge of blood ceased. Immediately. Now we're not given all the details. Um of how she came to Jesus. Was she in hiding because she was considered unclean amongst that crowd? Nevertheless, she is there. She reaches out, she touches his garment and she's healed. And Luke says, immediately healed, highlighting the miracle working power of Christ. And here he'll, he'll have a 12 year sickness that no one else could heal in a moment she's freed from it. And you can see in this lady and you see in other places in Luke that he's highlighting, that he's showing us that real faith always involves some kind of action. Now hear me, I'm not saying that real faith involves works. You don't have to work to earn it. But it always involves some kind of action. Not always, but oftentimes, especially in this as we've been through it, real faith digs through the roof to get to Jesus. Real faith kneels down before Jesus. Real faith asks Jesus to heal and to help. Real faith is a public faith. In the midst of desperation, you will do anything to get to the one who you know can help you. It involves action and movement here. And in verse 45, her faith gets more public and this you could say is even pretty risky for her. Who was this? Her faith gets clarified. Jesus says, who is it that touched me? Now, I don't think Jesus is lacking information. I don't think he is wondering what's going on here, but I think he wants to bring her into the light. I think he wants to call her out. I think he's wanting to draw attention to her by the crowd. And Jesus has an unusual way of doing this all throughout his ministry. And we were told here uh, by Luke that, uh, that Jesus recognizes that something has happened because power has gone out of him. Um, that when she touched him, there's some kind of uh, power that was depleted from him or went out of him. That Jesus knew something had happened. Apparently, uh, we're given window. There's some type of spiritual energy here that went out from Jesus when this happened. We see this in other places. When Jesus is ministering, he feels depleted by the crowds. He feels depleted by all the public ministry and things that happen. And he retreats to a quiet place uh, to, to, to be with the Lord and to be refilled by the Lord, by his father. 
So maybe something like this is happening. Um, and he's trying, and he says, he's trying to locate this person, but his disciples who are with him think it's impossible because of the crowd pressed in. And they all denied it. And Peter said, Master, the crowd's surrounding you and they're pressing in on you. Like, what's the point of trying to find out who did this? There's so many people touching you. Like if you've ever been through a really, like you're in a, you're trying to get to your seat at a concert or you're, uh, you're going to the rodeo and it's just like, you know, like every, like you've just touched like 50 people, right? It's one of those moments. And they're like, how, we don't know who's, there's so many people around here and everyone's touching you. What do you mean who touched you? Everyone's touching everyone. We're all packed in here like sardines. Um. And Jesus, in verse 46, says, someone has touched me, for power has gone out of me. And when the woman saw that she was not hidden, she came trembling and falling down before him, declared in the presence of all the people why she had touched him and how she had been immediately healed. This is amazing. She came to Jesus. Luke doesn't give us a lot of details here besides the word of Christ uh, prompted this response in her. And here we have uh, some commentators say a confession and then a testimony. Right here in this short little sentence. A confession of why she came to Jesus. Because she was desperate. And then a testimony of how he healed her immediately, miraculously. And then Luke tells us the tender words of Jesus in verse 48. Daughter, your faith has made you well. Go in peace. Your faith has made you well. Go in peace. Now, I believe he doesn't want this lady just to know him as a miracle worker. He calls her daughter. It's significant. That's relational language here. There's intimacy here. This one word calmed all of her fears. This word daughter is uh, this relational intimacy that Jesus speaks over her and he speaks over us for those of us that also our faith has made us well, right? Our faith in Christ has saved us, that we are sons and daughters of the king. This lady who had a chronic health problem for 12 years, he calls her daughter and calms her fears and heals her and saves her. He's calling her into relationship with him. And I think Jesus in this moment is clarifying some things in this statement. And it's remarkable because he says, catch this, your faith has made you well. Faith, period. Your faith has made you well. In faith, Jesus has made you well. He doesn't want us to believe this is some kind of superstition. He doesn't want us to believe like, oh, we have to touch something or have something or have some thing that, like this. He says, no, the reason that you have been made well is your faith in me. Your faith has made you well. Um, she's healed by faith in Christ. And this word healed is the same Greek word that we use in the New Testament also for saved. Sozo. Um, you're saved. And it's meant to be a saved in, yes, you've been saved from this illness, but you've been saved on a whole different level as well. 
Spiritually and physically, you have been saved. You have been healed. Complete and total salvation and healing. Jesus is in the business of restoring the whole person. Um, And again, this is a picture of what Christ will do for us finally and fully in glory. He will bring complete healing. He will bring complete restoration. And he tells her then to go in peace, to go in shalom, because Christ has reversed this illness in her and made her well. He restores her. He heals us entirely in glory one day. And I think Jesus is calling out this lady into the light, into the public for all of these people to see her and to witness this moment because he's restoring her dignity here. Isn't that remarkable? Jesus is restoring this woman who was cast out for 12 years, who had no place in the community, no place in her church, couldn't be around her family. And he calls her out and he says, you have been healed and restores her dignity back to her community so she could enter back into her family, enter back into her church and worship again. Um. She is a daughter of mine, Jesus says. He restored her. Now, I don't know what's in your past. Maybe you have a hard time believing this sort of stuff. Maybe you've made one bad decision after the next. Um, Maybe some sin has ostracized you and you're dealing with the shame of that. Even though you might not be able to change people's perspectives on you, Know that when you come to Christ, your faith in him can save you and heal you and rescue you. Jesus says you are a new creation in Christ. He says you are my daughter and in that you can walk in dignity that Jesus wants us to walk in. He wants a relationship with you. He's not just a miracle worker and Luke wants us to see that. He calls her into a relationship, daughter of mine. Go in peace, be restored. We know that not all of our problems will be solved in this life. Not every touch heals all of our afflictions, all of our wounds. But if you are a son or daughter of the king, eventually one day in glory, you will experience total peace, this peace that is promised. So we trust Jesus in our most desperate moments. Uh, And the next uh, miracle that we see is that we trust Jesus even in death. So, this, this whole story is going on. So Jesus has healed this woman, this amazing display around the crowd. And then uh, we, we can't forget about uh, Jairus, his daughter, the synagogue ruler who's asking Jesus for help. He's, he's also desperate for help. But his desperation turns to hopelessness in this story, in this, during this interruption He's thinking to himself, I'm sure, let's move Jesus along. We've got to get him through this crowd. This is an interruption. What are we doing here? My daughter is dying. We've got to get Jesus to my daughter. Um, this is no Chick-fil-A drive-thru, right? If it was, it was, it's not efficient. The, he can't get through. Thank you for the one laugh. I appreciate it. I hear you. I see you. We'll talk after service. I planted you. Um, his, he, his, his desperation turns to dread um, because they come to Jesus and they say that she has died. 
And think about that. What is that saying? It says, no, it's, it's saying, no one believes that Jesus' power extends beyond the grave. That his power doesn't extend beyond the grave. Like, hey, he's a miracle worker, yes, but she's gone, so let's, let's not bother uh, the rabbi anymore. What's the point? Can his power extend beyond the grave? And Jesus answers them all in verse 50, and he says, do not fear, only believe. More faith analogies here. And she will be well. That's it, believe. Believe. I imagine people are like, well, what else, Jesus? What else do I have to do? Because that's how we all think about most things. It's like, we have to do something to earn this. Like, I've got to, what, what hoops do it? No, he's like, believe. It's like the, the story back uh, in Exodus when Moses is told to hold up the serpent on the pole in the wilderness and everyone who looks upon it will live. Well, what else do we have to do? Just look and you'll live. Be saved. It's a picture of salvation. It's faith in Jesus alone. Faith in Christ alone. And it's showing us we can trust him for our ultimate salvation. Even in the midst of life's most painful situations, he is with us and he does not forget us. It's in these moments here we see in the story uh, that Jesus is actually increasing Jairus' faith. He's increasing his view of Christ. Often I believe we have to walk through trials so that we can come out the other side with a greater view of who Jesus is and how he works. And in verse 51, we see that he takes, him, takes with him sort of his trio. We have Peter and James and John, and he's continuing to reveal his identity to these guys to his disciples. And then he takes the mother and the father of the child and they're all weeping and they're mourning over this child. There would have been, uh, in addition to people in this crowd, because they'd found out she died, there would have been these mourners in the community that would have come. They would have uh, put on a display of mourning for the death of the child. It would have been uh, ceremonial to do so. You could call them, quote unquote, professional mourners. It was part of their responsibility in the community to mourn the loss Uh, when someone had died. And so there were mourners present. There was family present as Jesus enters into this sad situation of this child who had died. And Jesus says in the midst of all of this, in this tragedy, do not weep for she is not dead. She is sleeping. And they laughed at him. The mourners did. Like this is what they do all the time. It was like kind of their job. And they laugh at Christ because they do not believe that Jesus has power over the dead. They're like, this is ridiculous. In verse 52, it says, do not wait, for she is not dead, she's sleeping. Now, obviously, we read the story, she's died. It's not like a trick. He's not like, didn't cast a spell. Um, the mourners would not be there had she not really died, and had she just been taking a nap. There's not, you can't like trick them. Uh, But I think Jesus says it this way because he wants us to see how he views even death. It's like sleeping for those that believe. The word before, as he pointed us to, believe. Uh, This is how the early church talked about death. In 1 Thessalonians 4.13, it talks about death being like sleep. And Jesus here is going to show them 
He's going to show this family and he's going to show his disciples that he has power even over our greatest enemy, death itself. He is greater than Elijah who raised the dead but had to pray to God to intervene. There is no prayer. There is no, uh, there, there is no ritual. Jesus holds the power and he says the word, child, arise. Child, arise. And notice, he takes her by the hand, speaks to her. Child, arise. Jesus, this would have been shocking. Jesus grabbing the hand of a dead person. He would have been then ceremonially unclean, touching the dead, render him unclean. But here, the clean one touches the dead one and she is cleansed and made alive and he is not contaminated. And he does so, so tenderly, doesn't he? It's probably words that a mother would say every morning to a child. Child, arise. Um, I wish I had this much success trying to wake my children up every morning for school. Child, arise. And they immediately wake up and I'm ready for breakfast. It's get them something to eat. No, it's get up, get up, get up. Shake, 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 shake. Oh, no, right? It's, he says it and she just wakes up. Any parents can relate to that? Um. And he does so, so tenderly. He, he restores her to her former state. Now, this is not the fully resurrected state, but a restored state. She's restored. And they give her something to eat, showing that she's been raised in the flesh. This isn't a ghost. It's a real resurrection. She's back. Jesus has power over death. She can eat now. She's restored back in her flesh and her parents are astonished. And in verse 56, he tells them not to say anything about this. In typical Jesus, odd fashion. He does not take any notes from the church growth strategy books here. Tell no one about this. Because on his own time, he will begin to continue to reveal his identity to his disciples, to the community, to the religious leaders. He wants to be known more than just a miracle worker. And so we're left here in this story with this great reunion. It wasn't a final resurrection, and yet, though it is a picture and a window of our ultimate hope in Christ, that he, in his word, has power over death itself, that he is our ultimate hope, that he will be and is our final resurrection. This story gives us reason to believe in this resurrection. We're called risen church because we believe in a resurrected Christ who defeated and conquered death itself that is ruling and reigning right now at the right hand of the throne of God. And we can trust and hope in him because he did not stay in the grave. He got out of it and he rose again. And he's showing us right here that he has power over death itself and that one day we will be with him in glory forevermore. And so we can hope in our resurrected pierced savior. that we can face death, even our death here, in peace. Uh, because it's not the end for us. It's like sleeping. It's like sleeping. And here's the deal, Christian, for those found in Christ. Jesus will one day have your hand too. It's a, it's a window into our great hope. Death is like sleeping even for you and I, and he will look at you one day, and he will say, get up. 
He will say, get up, and it's like you were sleeping. You will be with him forever in glory. Nothing can separate us from the love of Christ, not even death itself. Amen? He will hold us fast. He is our savior. He has power over the grave. Believe in Christ. If you don't know him, come to Christ. Put your faith in Christ. Don't put it in a random, obscure, politically correct object. Put your hope and faith directly on Christ. It is only he and he alone that can save and heal and that deserves our great hope. It is not about cleaning up your life and doing better and looking better or getting a moral makeover or a PR adjustment. It is about, the gospel is about Christ raising people from the dead because of their faith and belief in him and his power alone. And this story gives us a sneak preview of how even sickness and death will not stop him from accomplishing his purposes that one day all of us will be bound up in the same reality. Child, get up, get up. All funerals one day will cease. All sickness will cease. All death will be no more. Does it sting today? Yes. A church historian I was reading, Timothy George, uh, as he's talking about the reformer, Martin Luther, many of you have heard of him is talking about one of the lowest points in Luther's life. His beloved daughter, barely 14 years of age, was stricken with the plague and she was dying in bed. And uh, she was about to die. And he was brokenhearted. And their family was around her bedside, kneeling, praying for her, holding her hand, begging God to release her from the pain And finally she had died in these last moments and the carpenters came out. And as the story goes, they were nailing down the lid of the coffin and Luther screams out, hammer away, hammer away one glorious day, she will rise again. Hammer away, hammer away, one day she will rise again. That is the hope we have in Christ, Christian. You can put me in the ground, but he will hold my hand and one day whisper to me, get up, child, and we will rise. Um, He will say the word, and his word is power, and his word reigns and rules. And so church, today I implore you, if you don't know him, come to him in faith. May he be the object of your faith. If you do know him and you are walking through a trial and you are in a desperate situation, cling to Jesus fall at his feet this morning. Ask him for help in your time of need. He will listen. Only he has the power to heal and to save. And he's willing to do so. Let's pray this morning. Lord, we thank you for your word. We thank you that it shows us, God, a window of our reality in Christ. Lord, I pray this morning as we encountered your living and active holy word that it would encourage our hearts and swell our hearts to know the hope that we have one day for those that put their faith in Jesus, for those of us that have believed on him and in him as our final and full hope that we can now live this life, though it is difficult, though we are afflicted by many things, we do not walk this life without hope. And that one day, 
Lord, we will hear the words of our King, arise, child. And tenderly he will have us stand with him and walk with him and be with him forever in glory. God, I pray for anyone in here that's never experienced the salvation and and complete healing that only Jesus can provide. Lord, may they run to you today. May we take a note from this woman that we read of and this religious leader we read of, no matter where we find ourselves, none of us are too great to follow the feet of Christ. And thank you that his mercies and tenderness reach out to us, the unlikely, the undeserving. And he brings healing and wholeness. Lord, would you work and do that today in our midst? Would you draw maybe even one today to yourself that is far from you, that they may be counted now in the family of God, knowing that heaven rejoices, that one lost sheep is found and brought back. Lord, do what only you can do. Pray in the powerful name of Jesus.